but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, I think okay. that's a wonderful, All right. wonderful thing. Now we've pushed record. Now we can start. Fortunately, we only went 30 seconds without realizing that we hadn't pressed record. Um, you feel bad for this poor woman. Oh, let's just take it from this. Let's just start. <laughs> let's just, you know. Go ahead. Say what you're going to say. I, I forget what I was going to say. say. I was saying, saying something about how easy it is for the... Yeah, mainstream media never gets it wrong. They always do their fact-checking. They uh, send people out into the field who understand the subject that they're reporting on. And as a result, aviation stories are spot on. They get told well and accurately. Wait, no, wait, 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 wait. Where did who, you get that you? information? Well, yeah, right. Who are you and what have you done with Jack? I know. No, no, I'm being I'm being sarcastic. I'm being yeah. facetious. Oh. You, you got to work on your sarcastic tone yeah. a little oh. bit. There. Yeah. Now that's because my uh my flux capacitator has been <laughs> mis- oh, mis- uh, oh, this poor woman. This no, poor woman. I, 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 really you know, feel, I feel kind of bad for her. But. A little bit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because when mainstream media gets these things wrong, usually there are very, very few people in mainstream media who care um, or even notice. You know, And even when we point it out, you kind of get a, oh, yeah, okay, I'll fix it. Um, but this one, <sighs> I'm sure she took a lot of grief in this, the newsroom. This made some national media. Uh, yeah. it, it showed up elsewhere in my feed. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. It, it, poor woman. You know, I, Unfortunately, it was live. So there wasn't anybody who could, who could you know, say, whoa, time out. We don't need to run that. Um, um, yeah. But, so but, listeners who may not the other, know. The other part of this, too, though, is yeah. um, a lot of the kids, I'm going to use the word kid, uh, a lot of the kids running uh, um, communications these days don't know about this movie. I, you know. I was just looking up its release date. Okay. Is it 1985? I don't think this lady, young lady was born when the movie came out, but you'd think by now, well, maybe she's just not a, a popular culture fan. I don't know. But so, yeah. yeah, okay, let me just explain here. Listeners, I'm sure most all of our listeners have come across this uh, this uh, uh, viral video that's on the net about a local new TV news reporter who was reporting, doing a live shot stand-up thing, um, talking to the camera about, what was it, some sort of like an engine failure or it was some sort of aviation? Uh, it was a skydiving plane crashed yeah, uh, at okay. uh, Hanson. And, and she reported that um, that she had been told by her sources that the the cause of the accident was a defective flux capacitator in the airplane. Right? And she said this totally straight face. There's not a doubt in my mind that she was just reporting what she was told, and exactly. she believed it. And she didn't. And clearly, someone was having fun with her, and uh, and it just and never thinking that it would go. Uh, I can only imagine the people in the background are are, are like partly laughing and partly horrified. Um, but uh, well, it, it definitely fluxed up that report. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and by the way, she didn't even get the wrong thing right. All right, she she referred to it as a flux capacitor. Capacitator. Capacitator is what she said. Well, and that's probably again what she was told. Yeah. Uh, 
I have maybe. no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, okay, maybe. Because uh, the actual term is flux capacitor, I believe. Correct. Um, and, uh, and this is from the movie Back to the Future, again, for anybody who's not in the know. This is from the movie Back to the Future. Flux capacitor was the key component to the uh, DeLorean time machine. No, let's, let's, let's get our terminology correct. What's that? Flux capacitor. Yeah, okay, excuse and me. It was, even it, I did. It may have been an incapacitated capacitor. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't, you know, until it got, what, 8.7 gigawatts of, of power. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then that started a whole entertaining thread on, at least on my social media, where a lot of aviation people were chiming in uh, uh, trying to determine whether or not the FARs um, included the flux capacitator as a uh, uh, owner eligible. Maintenance. Yeah, item. I, somebody got into that with me, and I told them it was an appendix A, and just to look it up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, we used to we used to have to replace ours after every flight. Yeah, yeah I know, right? But, yeah. but it's it wise. sure made flying cheaper by being able to run on banana peels. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 empty beer cans. And empty beer cans. That's, yeah. Yes. That well, was, this uh, could have been a fusion confusion. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there more to that, or is that all it was? <laughs> He's awake now. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, and, and you know, there there's, should be a a place, a special place reserved in hell for people that would pull a stunt like this on on a on, on a working reporter. I mean. You know, is, is somebody that's worked on that side of the uh, notebook for well, more than a few years. Hey, hey, hang on a second. I, I always try to get confirmation on information from second and right. third sources. But when TV people are getting ready to go live, they really have less of an opportunity to avail themselves of second opinions. Unless, of course, the second opinion is standing next to the first opinion right. and goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right, right that's right. Well, I'm sure she was, you know, first of all, you got to remember, this is a dive zone, okay? This is a skydive operation. Yes. So right away, nobody's on the level anyway, okay? <laughs> These people are all out to lunch if they're yeah. jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. So I know, you yeah, got right. that thing going on. So there's bad judgment. Remark. All, yeah, there's right. plenty of bad judgment right. to go around right. here, no, right? No, I yeah. just, whatever, whatever happens, whatever you hear is suspect off the off the top. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, and, and I'm sure this woman, you know, this woman interviewed some local, some guy hanging around. Um, and well, uh, a, the pilot of the skydiving well, plane describes crash landing at Cranfield Airport in Hanson. So that, it sounds well, like she talked to the to the pilot. To the pilot, and and the pilot, you know, is like, you know, I really don't want to talk to you right now. Uh, and he's a skydive pilot, so okay, there's two <laughs> screws loose. All right. <laughs> okay. See, we're going to hear. You know, it's I, like, know, I know. We're going to hear. We're going to hear from Burnside, all kinds of people. B U R. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Send and me I'm, email. I'm being. I'm being facetious. Everybody. Well, fortunately, take, take fortunately, the, the airplane spetser valve was perfectly well, copacetic. You know, they could have just run out of co- uh, uh, prop wash. Ooh, I hate it when that happens. I know. Well, they could have had a relative bearing failure because uh-huh. that's. Because the yeah, because that's how that's what you have to do to your flux capacitor after every flight is 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 rinse it out with the prop wash, right. and and, uh, and maybe they just didn't do that. And it's, you know, when it's a skydiving operation, you have to rinse out the cabin too. 
Well, okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. More uncontrolled than usual. Yeah, well, I guess. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in uh, beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, uh, Gorgeous. Well, actually, I was going to say gorgeous fall. It is a gorgeous fall day. Um, We've got a return of uh, hot and humid here. Jeb, don't say anything. Um, And uh, um, so it's it's surprisingly hot and and muggy up here uh, on this September morning. I don't don't, don't forget if it was Wren or Stimpy, but one of them had a really uh, um, odd laugh. I wish I could mimic that laugh sometimes. I don't know. I loved Wren and Stimpy, but it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm here talking in our virtual hangar with my two good (laughs) friends. Uh, That one voice out there is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm spiffy. Yeah. So uh, you've checked the flux capacitator in your airplane. and it's The the flux capacitator in my airplane is... uh, I recently removed and overhauled it. Okay. Uh, put it back in. Um, tests fine. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the to the next flight where I Sounds can actually good. make fuel instead of burn fuel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's going on down there? You had a brush with a hurricane recently, didn't you? Uh, we had a <clears throat> excuse me. We had a uh, tropical storm blow through. Yeah. Uh, went way south of here and and. Um, it was breezy for, you know, 12 hours, breezy being, I think Sarasota was advertising 20 knots gusts and, you know, okay, fine. You know, I'll, I'll land in that. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, a little bit of rain, no more rain than we would have gotten any other time, any other day this this time of year. Mm-hmm. So it was, that was kind of a non-entity. Uh, uh, this is um, Tropical Storm Gordon, which... Went ashore uh, uh, near the Panhandle of Florida uh, a day or mm-hmm. so ago, yeah. and I haven't seen any any. Haven't really been looking, but I haven't seen any major reports about damage or, or uh, uh, injuries or fatalities or anything like that. Yeah, I think I did ashore, see one so. report of a fatality, okay. um, but okay. uh, well, I'm you know, sorry to hear that. But yeah, around here it was basically a nothing burger. Yeah, it did kind of skirt the. It, apparently, it went right over the like. The, the middle keys or something like that and uh right I know our, keys. our friend shall better had to cancel his weekend plans yeah, he yeah, was heartbroken yeah and, uh, there's, there's that picture of um, you know the chair being tipped over on on the yeah. dot on the on the line so, or something but uh, uh um, before i so, say hello yeah, yeah know, and we, before we i dodged, say ho- we dodged that bullet and yeah. I, I, I hope a lot of other people did and before i say hello to my other friend here i just wanted to get an update here um any more uh alligators damaging the infrastructure not to my knowledge. Uh, okay. I've been kind of cooped up here in the office last few days, okay. uh, hitting deadlines. Um, so I haven't seen a whole lot. But uh, no, uh, is the quick answer. I, 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 I don't know. It's been about a week or, or two. Um, for some reason, I was awake uh, one night and just stepped outside briefly to check, to look around. And I heard this big splash. I'm like, hey, what's going on now? So I ran inside. I've got this, like, you know, mini spotlight flashlight thing. So mm-hmm. I started shining it around. And sure enough, there's a couple of red eyes uh, poking out of, the, out of the pond. And uh, darn if I didn't see another pair of red eyes. Uh, I was wondering. Time. I was going to ask about that whether or yeah. not maybe you had two gators now. Um, yeah. Well, the other one was the second one. If it's in fact, um, um, you know, a permanent fixture, is pretty small. It's much smaller than the other one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll yeah. keep our eyes peeled. So to speak. yeah. 
Okay. Uh, okay. Date night in in in, 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 in uh, Burnside yeah. Manor. Hey, hey, Jeb and I were voyeurs one time about five or six years ago. I have to, video of this to the two Gators. I have video as well of the two Gators doing their doing their thang. Um, it sounds like you got to making a website. Ironically, <laughs> ironically, they were doing their thing uh, right over there where that um, that's, that that uh, fountain thing is located now. Uh-huh. Um, so I wonder if that's related. I don't know. Probably not. Anyways, okay. Right. Aviation. Oh, aviation podcast. My right. other good friend here in the in the virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. What are you doing? Yeah, we're doing lovely. It's uh, like the fourth gray day, fifth gray day in a row, but that's okay. We 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 need the moisture it's been bringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice and comfy, and uh, no worries about sunburn, and uh, getting lots of work done. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Um, have. I was trying to think whether I saw some weather. <laughs> we haven't talked about weather in a long time in this segment, and so that's why I guess maybe I'm going crazy on the weather thing. Um, I don't know. Didn't there was some weather? There, didn't you guys have t- tornadoes or something like that? I mean, you always have tornadoes in Kansas. It's Kansas, right? Well, we do sometimes. Uh, we've had huge amounts of rain, particularly up north, where it caused uh, uh, flooding in some cities and flash flooding in the uh, Flint Hills and and. Uh, basically make the streets deep a little bit after it. We've gotten about three inches here at, uh, at mm-hmm. my place since uh, since Monday night. So yeah. we're, not, we're not lacking for moisture content right now. And uh, all the rainwater you need to uh, to go with your uh, uh, moonshine. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. What's going on in aviation here? I, uh, let's see now. Actually, I got to bring the list to the front here. What's going on? What was I going to talk about here? Um, follow-ups. So I don't. I I don't even know how to talk about this. All I know is a couple episodes ago we were talking about density altitude. This may actually probably almost certainly goes from back before Oshkosh. We we're talking about density altitude and uh, um, density altitude in flight, and whether high density altitude not only affected the performance of your aircraft, but whether it changed the altitude at which you should go on oxygen. And I know I speculated, and I don't know whether you guys did or not, but I speculated that density altitude would play a factor in changing the altitude at which you needed oxygen. But a listener chimed in and said that's not the case, um, and said that there's a difference between density altitude and pressure altitude, and that oxygen requirement is keyed to pressure altitude, and... I've now said everything I understand about the whole subject. All right. Yeah, I'm probably just as guilty or, or more guilty uh, uh, on this one. Um, we stand corrected. I, 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 uh, I should. My limited knowledge of, of physics, I should not try to apply logic, uh, my form of logic to it. Right. But, um, it did seem logical to me, and uh, yeah, me too. Um, me too. But. The part that I found interesting, and I don't know whether we talked about this during the podcast or whether I've been educated since then, but um, and I sort of knew this, but I didn't know it, and I should have known it. All right, and that is that the whole aircraft performance with high density altitude thing is not so much a function of the wings getting less air, less lift, less good stuff in that regard. It apparently has way more to do, almost completely all to do, with the performance of the engine 
under high density altitude situations um, and and since the engine develops less thrust it's lab- less able to take advantage of the wings through the air i always assumed that it had to do with the thickness of the thinness of the air and the the performance of the lift performance of the wings uh, I, I, um, actually, I, the, my cfi said it was both and he emphasized that yeah. quite heavily particularly and, out and here I, where our home airport at the time uh on a 100-degree day would have a density altitude of almost a mile. And uh, yeah. it, it definitely affects the, engine, uh, the engine's ability to make power. Right. And it, it affects the wings and their ability to generate lift. You, you, you've got to go faster. Yep. At least that's the way I was taught, the way I understood it. I think which it's makes me clear. wonder about this affected by the partial pressure of oxygen which changes with pressure altitude but wouldn't it also change with density altitude well that's what i thought too but apparently we're well we're now either right and this guy's wrong but more likely this guy's right and we don't we're not understanding well, we need to I, find i understand the concept of of pressure versus density um and i understand the partial pressure and, and how when we go on oxygen at altitude that we're increasing the, the, the partial pressure. Or, I, I, I don't know. I mean, well, let me put it that way. I, I don't here's know. what this made me wonder when I, when I read it a few days ago. It, it says oxygen requirements are based on pressure altitudes, not density altitudes. Well, that makes perfect sense right. as, as, as a frame of reference. So the FAA is not going to write a regulation saying you need to put oxygen on when you have a density altitude, this or that or the other, because that's going to vary so widely with temperature and humidity. Uh, So they make the charts and the regulations uh, uh, reflective of the pressure altitude, which is what we get when we set our altimeter to whatever the, our altimeters to whatever the uh, uh, barometric pressure is. So you got to have a frame of reference that needs to be consistent. You make that around pressure altitudes as read out on your altimeter. Uh, mm-hmm. But I always set my engine power by density altitude rather yeah. than who do we know pressure who? altitude, and I got better performance out of it when I did that. I think that's a regulatory definition and not necessarily a physiological uh, reflection of a physiological right. effect on our uh, bodies. Yeah, Higher may- density altitude is going to make it harder for us to to uh, uh, to fuse oxygen through those little bubbles in our lungs. Right, right. So who do we know? We, we must know somebody who, A, really truly understands this stuff, and B, has the ability to explain it to us. All right. I'll, I'll reach out to Brent Blue. Ah, I knew that perfect. was coming. There we go. I'll reach Ex- out to Brent Blue on Excellent this. Excellent idea. And we'll either have him on or we'll get something from him we can read on air. Excellent idea. I think that's a terrific, perfect, I ha- you're right. That's that's exactly who we should yeah, ask. He's, he's always, he's yeah, always, he's, he's uh, the aviation oxygen helpful. guy. And um, yeah. yeah, okay, perfect. All right, folks, we'll get back to you on this. Uh, read up on Dr. Brent Blue. Great guy, fascinating guy, uh, fun guy. Fun um, guy. Um, we should get him in the hangar because th- there are so many reasons why we should get him in the hangar. Well, um, he, he, I'm sure he'll come on, and, and he's 
you know, he, he's another great one to have at Oshkosh uh, for a daily or even a drop yeah. by one of the larger. But his, pr- his problem with him is, is he's always got a schedule. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, basically I run into him once or twice a year at, at Oshkosh and, and we hug and, and how's it going and everything. But uh, uh, he's he's, uh, he's got a busy life. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Let's 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 come back to that. And that, that's that's a, that's yeah. a terrific suggestion. Um, we'll get more information, folks, um, because we may or may not want to inform our audience, but we no, want to it, figure it, this yeah, out. It, this is not, this is a puzzle and I need to understand this better. Yeah, it, um, It's not that we don't um, um, believe uh, the, the listener who commented. It's more a matter of we want to educate ourselves yeah I, I i no, i agree with that completely i suspect the listener is absolutely right but i still don't understand yeah. it and so yeah. let's let's get somebody and, and and dr blue perfect idea okay all right a few minutes ago we were talking about the idea of potentially fueling your airplane with bananas um and it, <laughs> and, it and it turns out that it may come to that all right um so <laughs> That's a good segue, Jack. Yeah. I'll give you, yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, yeah. I'm glad he didn't slip up on that. <laughs> so in the news the last week that uh, Swift Fuels, uh, which was one of the two candidates that were being considered in this whole uh, new fuels, PAFI, what is PAFI? Alternative Fuels Initiative. Thank you. Um, was being considered, and they were trying to bless one or the other or both or something or other. And Swift Fuels has withdrawn from the whole program, um, and uh, which is not a big, big surprise to me anyways um and uh um because there was news story about this whole thing falling apart and breaking down um over the last couple months but uh it kind of throws the whole thing into disarray i guess um um um, you know so uh our pal at avweb um um bertarelli had my favorite headline on the whole subject. He said, what, what if people gave a PAFI and nobody came? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what, if, what, what if they held a PAFI and nobody came? Um, so now there's like one fuel being evaluated to be the one, and we'll see whether or not that's the one gets selected, which I'm being facetious because apparently the whole program is on hold right now. And, well, um, it, it, what, what Swift Fuel said, as I got the release and kind of went, yeah, okay. Uh, is that they're continuing to work privately with the FAA and engine OEMs to, to certify their fuel. Mm-hmm. So they haven't stopped working on this idea. They oh. just start stopped participating in PAFI, which is kind of, a, in my mind, a big shrug if the FAA has suspended work on PAFI. Yeah, no, that's what I meant by it not being a big surprise. Well, and you're right. Yeah, yeah they Swift Fuels, yeah, has, has definitely been, been, you know, taking a lot of steps and actions and trying to make this happen and you know they're working with a handful of airports around the country to have this fuel available already and uh, um, oh hell they were selling it at Oshkosh a couple of years ago yeah Jeb go ahead back up yeah Swift Fuels is is selling uh, a fuel an aviation fuel gasoline right now yes it's called 94 UL yep Uh, and it will probably work great on uh, lower displacement lower horsepower engines it probably does and it's, it's probably great in uh in lsa's that's what uh, i was gonna say so you think you, know. you, you think you can put it in a rotax i'm sure you can put it in a rotax now let me ask but can you legally put it in a rotax i'm not clear on the regulation in this regard um it's a certified fuel for aircraft that don't require a greater octane isn't it is it not i, I guess I, I don't 
I don't pretend to understand well, how this regulation I, I'm, works. I'm, you know, I'm I'm playing catch up on some of this, so yeah, I, you know, I don't so, want to get into a yeah. density versus pressure altitude. Thing. Yeah, right. Okay, but um, as far as I know, Swift Fuels is selling an approved fuel for aircraft that don't require any more than 94 octane. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that certainly includes a lot of LSAs. Right. As right. well as I would add. Uh, you know, again, some of these small, small bore, low horse, horsepower, conventional aircraft engines. I'm thinking, you know, like O two hundred, O three hundred, Continentals. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going on. But what Swift Fuels is talking about, and which PAFI was created to do, was to try to come up with an unleaded aviation gasoline that that satisfied all uh, engine needs as well as, I would suggest, mm-hmm. aircraft fuel system needs. Um, and that what, I, what we're seeing, what we're hearing now, is that that effort, if I, I called it a failure, I, I, I just said, I, I just say, I, I wrote about some of this in uh, the October issue of Aviation Safety Magazine, and it basically said, PAFI has failed. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't, you know, what's going on here? Um, the PAFI... Effort, which has been ongoing four or five plus years, um, had two phases in it. Phase one, which kind of makes sense, was lab testing, a lab level uh, work um, to you know discover the properties of the, the candidate fuels. And there were at the time, I you know originally there were like what six or eight different fuels that had been contributed or. or uh, put forth or competing or whatever, somehow that all got whittled down, and the only two to come out the other end of this was uh, Swift and Shell. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved into phase two, which was in uh, testing on actual airplanes and engines uh, and fuel systems and, and things like this, and they've been kind of hung on this phase two uh, of the PAFI program uh, for a couple of years. Right, and now we're hearing now we're hearing a that it's not complete yet. It's like one phase is half complete, the other phase is is or I mean, the other part of phase two is uh, like maybe two thirds, three quarters complete. Um, but now all this has been put on hold. Right, right. Has um, I'm going to come back to David in a second because but um, has the sh- has Shell are they delivering a fuel anywhere a la the way Swift Fuel is delivering a fuel? Not to my knowledge. Yeah, I didn't no. think so. I don't think so. David, you were mentioning that uh, Swift Fuel was pretty present at Oshkosh. What, what were you going to say about that? Oh, it was just that, as Jeb followed up with, they're selling this fuel. Yeah. Uh, the fuel meets ASTM standards and uh, for aviation fuel. So uh, they got on the field at Oshkosh, I don't know, two years ago, last year. After 25 or 30 of these things, they sort of run together. But uh, fuel's available. It's been for sale. Uh, It meets the ASTM standards, uh, which is all of these have to before they get into PAPI. but the, uh, the the incomplete testing that they're talking about with the uh, with the PAPI program, if my understanding's correct on this, is the, the the two fuels that they've been testing have come through the operational part. It is the engine compatibility part with no big issues and no big differences. 
where the whole process, I understand, is as I understand it, is is gotten mired down, is in checking the compatibility of this fuel with the thousands of variations in airframes and fuel systems. Mm-hmm. You know, some 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 airplanes have metal tanks, some of them composite tanks, some of them have bladders, some of them have wet wings, some of them don't. Uh, different components in the fuel pumps and the fuel selector valves uh, that are uh, sensitive to different chemistries. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, that's, a, in my mind, a, a much bigger hurdle to getting all the testing done than, you know, making it, finding that it's compatible with the, uh, admittedly, the large number of engine variations that are out there. But if you start delivering it at the carburetor, for engine test, you're not getting in the testing to make sure that it's compatible with fuel tanks, fuel selector valves, fuel right. pumps, diaphragms, right. gaskets, and and and, uh, and O-rings. And not all fuels are compatible with all of those various various systems. So when you set the goal as a drop-in replacement for everything. Uh, you've created a hell of a mountain to climb just on getting through the fuel system compatibility test. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Is there anything yeah, else to say about this? What's the next step? Where does well, it go I, from here? That's a, that's kind of the question. Um, what seems to be going on, um, per Swift's announcement uh, in late August, is Swift is going to forge ahead and try to obtain STC. Uh, mm-hmm. An STC supplemental type certificate uh, on its fuel. GAMI General Aviation Manufacturers Incorporated, which is uh, you know, supposedly come up with the answer here, but was did not participate in PAFI. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, has also been pursuing an STC. And what's their fuel all about? Is it what? Hmm, I don't know how to ask the question. Well, one, I mean, one of the things their fuel is all about... Gammy's fuel, yeah. Gammy's fuel. One of the things that Gammy's fuel is all about is supporting the higher displacement, higher horsepower aviation piston engines. I see. Um, I don't know how much Swift has been worried about that. I don't know how much Shell has been worried about that. I don't know how much the FAA's PAFI program has been worried right, about that. Right. But that's one of the things that the GAMI's project has definitely had as a uh, as an objective. And to hear George talk about it, they met the objective long ago. But for whatever reasons, and I'm sure there are good ones from their perspective, um, for whatever reasons, they did not participate in the PAFI process. Right, right. Now, yeah. I know uh, who you're talking about, but say George's last name, please. George Brawley. Yeah, of GAMI. Of GAMI, yep. right. Now, um, STC process, great, wonderful. Uh, and they're talking, you know, I've, I've seen at some point, you know, they're talking about, you know, we will mail you, uh, you know, for a dollar or something. They'll, they'll, they'll give you the, the STC certificate. Um, but it's not at all clear to me how um, that fuel would be distributed. Right. And that's okay. really the, the, that's, the $64 that's million of, dollar question, that's, right? That's yeah. not the, but it's it's one of the $64,000 questions. Right. Uh, it, how this fuel would be distributed, uh, as, I, as I pointed out, you know, the, the, the petroleum industry is, is happily accepted the, the fact of one aviation gasoline 
Mm-hmm. Um, what if there are multiple aviation gasolines? Right. Right. What's going to happen next? And, and, and I'm not real saying, you know, if I, if I fly somewhere, um, and all I have is swift fuel, <clears throat> but all I have is a GAMI STC, how do I get home? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And that's the thing that I didn't realize for a while, but I sort of realize now is that, it, I mean, it, forget the industry, whether they embrace a second fuel. Um, a lot of these you know, small airports literally don't have another tank to right. inventory another fuel. Right. Um, and so it's, 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 yeah, it's a really complicated process. And, you know, are, well, does that mean that, you know, it all gets thrown into the same tank? Well, you know, isn't that kind of the... the the question is that that really one of the one of the things that we have to kind of resolve here also yeah. is that but that would um, mean- even if you know tomorrow morning the sun shone and the birds sang and we all sang kumbaya and there was a an approved unleaded aviation gasoline there's still a buttload of 100 low lead out there yeah and it's all going to get commingled at, at, in one concentration or another Mm-hmm. How, what's going to be the reaction? Are, are our fuel tanks going to start bubbling? I don't, I don't know. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. I think bananas is the solution. I just think this is what we should be. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it may be the only solution. Bananas. Bananas. Okay. Because of the potassium? But, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, as my mom used to say, you can never have too much potassium. Okay. Well, I bet we come back to this at some point in the future. Did your mother really say you could never have too much potassium? She did, as a matter of fact. She always said, hey, have a banana, Jack. you got to have your potassium. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, your, <clears throat> there's your episode title. Yeah. I'd never heard this phrase before, but it makes total sense. Wrong surface landings. Wrong surface landings. All right. So FAA came out with a thing recently. I don't know exactly what the thing is. It was a... A notification, a warning. A uh, so I'm looking at uh, avweb.com. FAA warns against wrong surface landings. This is a story by our pal uh, Mary Grady. Um, in the last year, read a couple graphs here. In the last two years, 596 aircraft in the U.S. have landed or almost landed on the wrong runway or wrong airport. And 85 percent of those or the events, wrong taxiway. Yeah, exactly. We all that's the one everybody keeps thinking of, and it's like poor Harrison Ford. Oh well. Um, that's not the one. I that's not of. who I was thinking. That's of. Not oh, really? What I was thinking of. Who were you thinking of? <laughs> I'm thinking of that uh, Air Canada flight that almost landed on four. Oh uh, well, of course that's uh, the style. That's the horrifying one. That's, yeah, that's I, the that's the sixty four thousand dollars. I question. bet though. And that one's that one's still open. There's an NTSB hearing coming up on that. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So, anyways. Um, um, by the way, when I was, uh, I think I told the story about how I went flying with my friend when I was out in California about a couple months ago. Um, and uh, yeah. we actually landed on that runway that Harrison Ford thought he was landing on um, and taxied on the taxiway that he did land on. So, Did you my, wave at the tower and say, that we was, got it right? That was my brush with greatness, oh, um, you know, or, or brush with something. Anyways, um, Wrong surface landings. So FAA is basically warning, as I'm reading this, if I understand this correctly, they're basically just warning that this is a big deal and it happens a lot and everybody should be on guard and on alert to make sure you're landing on the right surface. Is that what it says? Jeb, you're the safety guy. What, I'm you sorry, are, say that one more time. They're, they're just warning, is just saying be extra cautious because this is happening a lot and the FAA says be careful, make sure you're lined up for the proper surface. Yeah, and that's... that's um, um 
is an ongoing project at the agency, mm-hmm. um, well before uh, Harrison Ford, well before Air Canada. Um, when, when, the Air, when the FAA talks about wrong surface, not only are they thinking incorrect runway or, or incorrect taxiway, but are also thinking incorrect airport. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The one that the one there that pops into my mind was that military. Was it a C seventeen um, that uh, landed? Well, you know, the, this is down one, near Tampa, there, right? The, yeah, and, the one at, the C seventeen at Tampa landed at uh, Peter O'Knight uh, when they should have been landing at McDill about you know eight ten miles further down the road. Yeah. Uh, the the, the punchline is the runways uh, are, are aligned pretty much the same. Yeah. So. Um, but there, there's the other one that uh, was out in Wichita where the uh, – Dave, correct – Fick, help me out here. It was a 7-4, I believe. It was one of the, one of Boeing's or somebody's uh, super jumbos with the inflated fuselage to haul uh, other airplane fuselages or oh, something. Oh, yeah, like. you're talking about the uh, the, the uh, dream yeah. catcher to yeah. win, uh, that was supposed to land at uh, – McConnell Air Force Base and wound up two airports short uh, at Chabara Airport uh, in northeast Wichita. Okay, that's uh, yeah. a very different airport, right? Uh, that was not only a very different airport, but it was two airports too early. <laughs> well. and, and, and it's and it's not a hard it's not a hard mistake for me to understand because it was overcast that night. They come through a layer. It's dark. They break out. The navigation stuff's telling them that the runway is still about five miles away. And their eyeballs are saying, oh, there it is right there. And they managed to pull off landing a, a, a an airplane that usually needs about 7,500 feet of runway, putting it down on a, on a, on a runway that's only 6,000 feet. With a surface nowhere near the weight rating that that aircraft requires, mm-hmm. uh, the real trick was when they turned it around and got it out uh, the next day. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are three airports that basically line up on the same heading: uh, McConnell, which is uh, in south uh, southeast Wichita. And then just north of it, about two miles, is Beach Field with its own 6,000-foot runway, lighted. And then Jabara, north of that. And they almost all line up perfectly. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy for your eyeballs to be deceived when when you're looking for a runway and not looking at what the nav instruments are telling you to say, oh, there it is. Yeah. And the amazing thing was that they got it down and stopped without, A, overrunning, B, doing any damage to the uh, to the freighter, mm-hmm. and uh, C, that they were able to offload fuel by sending a truck over and then bringing a chug over that could turn the thing around so that it could go back out to the north, which the wind's favored by the time they were ready to leave mm-hmm. and it was ugly cold damp weather when this happened uh but it's real easy the three airports visually line up mm-hmm. 
So it's dark, it's night, you break out, your eyeballs catch the first of the three and go, yep, we're here. And without bothering to look at your uh, nav uh, indicator saying, uh-uh, 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 yeah. more miles, more miles. Well, uh, can't you just visually you just look around and you see that because of the way the terrain is arranged, you say this is not the right airport because all, no, it's, that's a badly put joke. It's all flat out there, right? They, they, on some level, they all look the same, right? Well, uh, uh, particularly in the dark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although yeah. that's interesting. So from this, uh, according to the AvWeb story, the FAA points out that um, the probability, I'm quoting now, the probability of being involved in a wrong surface event is highest when operating in visual conditions. Um, he said, that according to the FAA, uh, and more than 90% of the incidents occur in daylight, um, which, I don't yeah, know, I, I, on so one level, that's, they're, that's they're notable. Mixing their, they're mixing their stats. Um, How's that? Um, it's it's obvious that there's going to be more of these events in daylight because that's when most people fly. Oh, well, there's that. I, I okay. That's that's. I, I'll buy that. Okay. I'll buy that. I was going to think though. I was going to say that it also is because we tend to be more cautious in the dark and or on like IFR or something like that. Um, whereas when you're in VMC, you might be more casual. Well, well and, uh, when the other thing going on here, too, is every landing is visual. You know, if, yeah. if, if we're talking about visual approaches, then, yeah, that's certainly something I would agree with. Um, but if we're talking about landing on the wrong surface after an ILS, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. Yeah. But Jeb, Jeb hit it on the money. It would, even if, if you're making an instrument approach... You know, an ILS down to, down to minimums, which is rare, but you have to transition from indications to eyeballs yeah. at that two hundred foot mark above the, the runway. So every landing is visual. Now, in the case of these guys, obviously they're they're going to be coming into Wichita into McConnell on an instrument flight plan. Uh, but they break out, and the ceiling, if I remember right, was 1,200, 1,500 feet, something like that. And you immediately go to visual. Now you're looking visually for the runway. Mm-hmm. And when we fly VFR, we don't do as much checking of our navigation instruments as we might do under instrument mm-hmm. under an instrument flight plan. Because we can see... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we assume we're seeing correctly, and uh, yeah, well, yeah. I I had a thing. It's been you know ten fifteen years now. Same kind of deal. I was I was flying uh, into uh, uh, very familiar uh, uh, airport, airport I learned to fly at, mm-hmm. and I come through a uh, a deck. Um, I've been on top of a deck or in clouds or something. I come out the bottom of this, and I've got. You know, visual conditions. I'm still, you know, five or six thousand feet descending, and I see a rotating beacon in front of me. And I said, "Okay, wow! I didn't know I was this close." And uh, pulled power off and started a a steeper descent. And something's not right here. And I checked the the GPS and and checked, you know, a couple of other things. Oh, I know which airport this is. Now I got another twenty miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, they're. Both airports aligned on my route of flight. Both airports have beacons. I've flown out of both airports before. Uh, I knew knew the area intimately, but I still started to make that same mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There, but for the grace of whoever. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyways, be careful. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to this. Uh, this is an FAA safety alert for operators. And uh, we'll put a link Zappo. in the, in the, uh, in the uh, um, show notes about this. Take a look and uh, uh, be careful out there. Yes. Um, what was I going to talk about next? Oh, iPads. So I just, I don't know. This is just like not, I, this is just a great story. Um, I, 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 this triggers my fear of height. I have a weird fear of heights, okay? And my fear of heights not doesn't simply involve me falling. I have a great fear of me dropping things when I'm near a draw, you know, like a, a, a height situation. All right. So for example, if I'm steering, if I'm standing at the railing, um, like three stories up above the ground and I'm holding my phone in my hand, I will be clutching my phone for fear that it will slip out of my hand. All right. Even though my hand, my phone never slips out of my hand. I mean, you know, it's just like, how often do you accidentally drop your phone? But when I'm standing near a drop like this, near an edge up high, I'm afraid that it's going to pop out of my hands and I'm going to lose it. Well, this is what happened to this guy. And just, just reading, hearing his story, watching his video, it triggered this, this fear for me. Um, he's flying his, uh, his kit Fox where he's got sort of a, this, this, uh, do it yourself, uh, mount um, of his iPad on the panel and uh, under the proper circumstances and he flies his Kitfax with the doors off which I totally endorse it sounds like a lot of fun but he's fiddling with his iPad in flight um, and it comes loose from the mount and goes just falling out the door it just fell out the door and 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 went to the ground all right and and I thought well that's that he doesn't I don't think in the video talk about how how high he was um, so I don't know how how far it fell but my first thought was, you know, and I love iPads, but I thought that's it, it's done. Um, but then he t- goes on to tell the story. But so iPads um, and and iOS devices in general, I don't know whether Android has this as well, but and they may. But I know iOS devices have a feature where you can locate the device, assuming, assuming you've turned on all the right things and it's your device and so right. forth. Yeah. Um, you can track the location of it. You can go onto one of your other Apple devices and actually put up a map, and it'll put a blue dot or a black dot on the screen where that device is. So he was actually able to go in there and discover that is amazing to me anyways, all right, his iPad is still functioning, all right, and it's broadcasting its location, all right, um, and so he can see where it is out in the middle of the woods, well, not the middle of the woods, but sort of in the woods um, about an hour from his home, so he tells the story about going out there and having to get permission to actually go onto this private property in order to search for his iPad, and, uh, and, and amazing. Nice, what was the, what? nice little piece at socialflight.com put together to... Yeah. to yeah. What, what was the first reaction of the property owner? Yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, it, it was some sort of industrial property, and so I would imagine they were a little. And they, the fact that they've even got a guard shack at the gate suggests that their security, you know, either you know, for good or bad reasons, they're they're aware of security. Um, so they didn't let him on at first, and then he, he got the local police involved to sort of vouch for him, I guess. And and uh, they finally he finally talked his way onto this property and went out into the woods and showed video of him walking around the woods, um, and. Uh, and uh, find, found his iPad. Um, the iPads are cool. This is true of iPhones too. The, you can using another Apple device. You can not only see its location, but you can trigger it to make noise. You can trigger it to start beeping, which is what he did when he got close. And and he found his iPad, and it was sitting there um, working. The screen was pretty good and cracked. Uh, oh, I think I've heard that. The iPad screams, "Help! I've fallen out of an airplane and I can't get up." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. I was pretty Siri, impressed. Where are you today? Oh, uh, I fell out of an airplane. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So, anyways, it's just uh, I don't know. It's not really much of an aviation story, it, it, but be careful. Gonna, but if you're going to fly with an airplane with the doors off, you really, really want to have everything safety lined or something. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I, that just seems like that was a that was a a, a, a you know a, a problem waiting to happen. I don't know what else he carries in that airplane that's not tied down. Oh, um, doing doing air to air photography missions in airplanes with the doors off. Yeah. Uh, not only secure yourself, secure your gear. Yeah, uh, particularly if the day turns lumpy. Uh, when the day turns lumpy, you, you not only need to strap your camera bag down, but you need to close it. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, stuff inside the camera bag can go weightless. Ah, and then, okay. And then there's little things like screw-on lens hoods uh-huh. or gloves if you're shooting on a cold day. And I've had both uh, a lens hood and a glove depart without permission. Hmm. Uh, the glove came off because I was changing film and mm-hmm. uh, in the days when we still did that. And I'd still have to take gloves off to change the cards in, in, in my cameras because yep. now the cards are those little bitty secure digital things. And mm-hmm. uh, the lens hood, I, I was at a loss at. I thought I'd tightened it up really good. It was a screw-on rather than one that turns 90 degrees and clicks into in, into place locked. And uh, when I wasn't using it, it was sitting on the floor of the airplane, and the vibration, I believe, let the hood slowly back off because I picked it up to shoot a Mooney, and the pilot of the moon he went whoa what just what just fell out of the airplane and i looked and the, the lens hood was gone huh. and he said i hope you don't need that and i said ah, we'll we'll live without it uh, you think you'll be able to find it a nine dollar lens hood no i'm not going looking for that yeah yeah we so. were over a big lake anyway so it probably yeah. be, became a fish farm yeah, there you go so be careful about things falling out of your airplane. And if they do, do a video that shows how you found it or right. didn't find it, whatever. So, um, where are we here? I think we're done. For, I think formation? it's shout-outs time. Did you want to do the formation Real. picture thingy? What's that? The formation picture. I do, but I want to do it as a shout-out. So first I'm oh, going to say, okay. say shout-outs. Um, and then I'm going to let you guys think about shout-outs, and I'm going to take this one because I just think it's awesome. Um, this is just a cool picture. Um, this is uh, uh, a picture that appeared um, in uh, you know the media, uh, social media as well as others recently, of... Uh, of a uh, formation formation flight of the uh, three big jet uh, three big North American jet teams the uh, Thunderbirds the Blue Angels and the Canadian Snowbirds um, and it turns out that they were all um, sort of performing or, or, or present near each other up near Cleveland uh, a couple weeks ago and so the powers that be or somebody arranged um, a uh, a uh, air-to-air photo shoot with the three teams, um, each flying in their own formations, and then the formations flying in formation with each other. And it's just a it's a cool picture. And uh, um, the one I'm looking at, and I'm sure there's multiple shots of this, but the one I'm looking at shows the uh, Thunderbirds in the foreground, and the Blue Angels in the midground, and the Snowbirds uh, in the background. Um, and 
it's just it's a cool picture and that would have been something to see with your eyes boy i'll tell you i don't I know whether they, they were all on the same frequency yeah well i you know you gotta god bless them for doing this and i'm sure it was all very professional when the when it all came down to it but the 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 inter-service negotiation that went on to make this happen i gotta figure it was a, a non-trivial task i uh you know i don't it's just but it's a cool picture. Well, well it's one close for missile switching to gun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and one one prerequisite for me is automatically covered by this group. Everybody's formation qualified. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, they're probably they're probably good to go here. But uh, so I mean, and that is an interesting question though. So we've got the the three formations: the the Thunderbird formation, the Blue Angel formation, and the Snowbird formation. And the, these are each their kind of typical, how to characterize it, five or six ship formation. Um, and each of those formations has its lead. I, I would imagine then that um, one of the formations is the lead for the other two, or something like that. And uh, I'm not exactly sure how that would work. Well, they um, put the slow airplanes in the lead. Oh, you think that's how they did it? That's interesting. Yep. I want so this picture is. I find this picture interesting, and and I'm reading a lot into this picture that I know nothing about, and maybe doesn't bear any reality. Um, but as I understand it. The Cleveland Air Show thing was a Thunderbird's appearance, and that the Blue Angels just happened to be in the neighborhood. And, uh-huh. um, right. And and so, because um, I'm looking at the picture, coming out of the entertainment world, all right, um, billing is very significant. All right, what order are the names listed on the movie poster is really significant, all right? Um, and and so it's always on my mind when I see these kinds of things. All right. So in the picture I happen to be looking at, the Thunderbirds have the premier position in this picture, up close, very front. Okay. The Blues are in the distance, and the Snowbirds are further in the distance. All right. Um, but in the movie industry, they developed a th- so the, and and the billing is very significant. It gets negotiated in the contracts. It's all spelled out in advance. Whose name's going to go first? Whose name's going to go second? Third, fourth, and so forth. But occasionally in the movie industry, you have two stars who are so equal that it's impossible to decide one goes before the other. And so what sometimes they'll do on a movie poster is they'll put the names side by side on the poster. But then the problem is that side by side isn't equal because left tends to dominate right in that kind of a visual situation. So you'll see movie posters where the two stars' names are sort of side by side, but the one that's to the right is half a line higher than the one on the left, all right? And I've read stories that this is how they deconflict the billing situation, all right? They, they say, well, your name's going to be on the left, but your name's going to be higher, okay? So now I'm looking at this, this uh, Jet Team's picture, and I'm thinking, okay, the Blues are in the foreground, I mean, the question, the Thunderbirds are in the foreground, the Blues are in the middle, the uh, Snowbirds are in the distance, but the Blues are further away, but higher than the Thunderbirds in the picture, and the Snowbirds are even higher still. If you Google, and I just Googled uh, Snowbirds, Thunderbirds, Blue Angels. Yeah. There's a lot more art out there on I, the Internet. I would hope so. I would hope this. somebody took a lot of pictures. Yeah. 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 So, anyways. Uh, yeah, I would have been going, one, one, one more pass, guys. One more pass. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, I do have a question. Yeah. So, as Dave correctly points out, all these people are, are formation qualified. They have their formation cards. Yeah. Is a Canadian formation card worth the same as a U.S. formation card? 
Well, at least they do it on the same side of the road. Yes, yes, that's good. That's okay, good. well, there you go. That's a, that's a relief. Glad to hear that. Anyways, nice picture. Uh, again, we'll put a link in the show notes to at least one of these pictures. Maybe maybe we'll find Jeb's collection of them. And uh, that's it. What do you guys got? If, show notes? If, if, or, uh, if, shout outs? If, if I'd notes? been involved in this, the setup would have been the same, except I might have put the Thunderbirds in the middle and the Blues in the lower left. Yeah. Just because of the aesthetics. But you put the slow airplane in the lead. Yeah, if I, I get that part, yeah. I, and I, I, you know, okay, I've I've made my point of view clear on this. That's what I think, but yeah, yeah, yeah. visually, I see what you're saying, David, completely. All right, um, what do you guys got? Shoutouts? Oh, a little shout out to an outfit called Coda, which makes skateboards. And electrically powered skateboards. Mm-hmm. And they are partnering, partnering with the D-Day Squadron to help raise money for the uh, 75th D-Day anniversary coming up next year. So if you're into skateboards or you know anybody that's into skateboards, you've got a grandkid or a nephew or an overgrown brother who still can't keep off his board, Take a look at their boards. They're really pretty, custom-made, and part of the sale will go to support the uh, D-Day Squadron's trip to uh, Paris, or I'm sorry, to France for the uh, anniversary next June. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Jeb, what do you got? Uh, Just a real quick plug, kind of indirect plug for the magazine anyway, Uh, just a, a thanks to my contributors this month. Um, Tom Turner, Mike Hart, and David Jack Kinney for uh, all their fine work uh, on helping me get the magazine out. Nice, yeah. I yeah, you have quite a a, a, a team, I guess I'll call it. Um, of of I have a wide array of people I can draw on. Yeah, yeah. no, and and, um, and that's pretty interesting. I mean, it's because it's different than some publications would have a staff you know and uh and and you certainly have people who help you in that regard i guess Um, sure but but um you have such a diverse group of of contributors and it's it's pretty fascinating um to uh the different kinds of stories and the different sensibilities and and stuff that i see in that magazine from from month to month yeah no that's pretty cool that's that's pretty cool um and uh um you know I don't know whether that makes it easier or harder to produce the magazine. <laughs> Everybody's different. Yeah. Um, I had to get on to one guy uh, this, this last cycle. I said, dude, I don't know how you put this all into one document, but there's like, you know, five different fonts. There's tables. There's all kinds of stuff that um, um, just kind of confuses uh, uh the issue. And mm-hmm. we, need to, we need to, you know, and going forward, we need to clean this up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, trying to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, well, yeah. I, you know, I, I try to copy and paste into into my uh, my page layout application, mm-hmm. and uh, it go about two paragraphs and quit. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this used to happen all the time to me when I, when we were working for the newspaper. David and, and Jeb, when you were the editor, this was a problem uh-huh, as well. And uh-huh. you guys were very patient with me um, because most of at least back then, I don't know how they do it now, but back then Microsoft Word was the uh, was sort of the standard for submitting copy, and uh, and and I left Microsoft Word behind. Dec- like no joke decades ago yeah, yeah. um and so um i would submit 
text files, basically, all right? And that just caused no end of confusion every year at, at AirVenture. So, the problem wasn't the text file, per se. It was the way you saved the text file. Perhaps, um, uh, yeah. What you, what you were doing, the way you were saving it was adding a carriage return at the end of each line. Oh, there's that, too, yeah, okay. And yep. that, that wreaks havoc on, on page layout. Yeah, uh, global uh, search and replace, man. Find two, replace with one. That's okay. that's why we gave you a template every year. I know you did. No, I know. Yeah, and every year I'd, I'd, I'd sort of I got better as the years went on. At first, I'd forget, and the first one I'd submit, I would submit yeah. the way I felt like I should submit it, and then yeah. you guys would come back very tactfully and say, "No, Jack, do it this way." Yeah, and I go, well, "Oh, that's right." And I'd go yeah. find my notes or find well, my the whatever. Other, the other thing you were you you weren't even using Word; you were using whatever your text editor. Yeah, is. I, I and, and it was saving. You know, if you had just given us a Word file, we'd have been able to deal with it. Without any, you know, no, I know, and I think word I think is un- unfortunately the de facto standard. Yeah, well, okay, if you say so. Um, and it I, used I to be, it. and it used to be word perfect. Well, and I'm I'm a word perfect guy from way back. Yeah, okay. Uh, when yeah. I ever when I have a a detailed project of any kind, uh, I, I'll fire up Word Perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I won't use Word. I, yeah. I, I use Word because I have to. Yeah. But and, I, uh, I, Annie, I, Annie was the same way. She was word perfect all the way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I, I, I was helping my one of my children uh, recently with a writing project of theirs, and it was in Word. And I'm like, you know, why can't you do this in Word Perfect? And they're like, what's Word Perfect? <laughs> what's okay? What's Back to the Future? What's yeah. what's, what's a flux, flux capacitor? capacitor? <laughs> yeah. Let's okay. get our capacitor going. Yeah, right. Okay, all right. Uh, I want to pass along a shout out from a listener. Um, so I uh, got an email from listener uh, Michael L, and I'll, I guess I won't say his last name. Michael, listener Michael L uh, sent an email saying, uh, "Hi, you cap. I just learned, I just learned that the wife of one of my coworkers is the granddaughter of the of a man by the name of Farold Fox. David, am I pronouncing that right? Farold." Farrell? As far as I know, yeah. Farrell Fox, F-A-R-O-L-D, Farrell Fox. Uh, Farrell Fox recently passed away, uh, but I learned that he was part of the team that restored Fifi in Wichita. As I understand it, he started his career in aviation as a mechanic in World War II, got his own pilot certificate after the war, and went on to fly uh, crop dusters and build and fly five of his own experimental projects. Um, and uh, um, Michael L. wondered whether David had crossed paths with him, um, but my Michael mostly wanted to just kind of make a shout out uh, to uh, to Farrell Fox and a, and a life well lived. I think, um, David, yeah, you say you like you did cross paths with this gentleman from time to time. Or? I believe so, um, yeah. but I've never been able to put a face to it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thank you to that. For, thank you to Michael L for that shout out. Yeah. Uh, what else? Anything else? I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. Thank you, guys. It's always a blast, um, even on a hot and humid uh, Thursday morning here. It's great to talk with you. Uh, Jeb Burnside. Hot, hot and humid? It, it is here. Where Let's, are you? Yeah, I know, right? You wouldn't think. September in New Hampshire is not supposed to be like this. You're not, but a, you're not in my kitchen, are you? I, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sooner than you wish. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> that time of year is approaching rapidly. Uh, that's Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, what else have you been working on? Jeb, you alluded to the magazine. but Yeah, uh, just just um, this, mor- was it this morning, yesterday morning, um, got the magazine out the door. Um, um, so, uh, you know, basking in the glow one more time. Yeah. But, um, um, 
That's that's kind of sort of what I've been working on since our last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mentioned in that in that last episode that I've been taking some time off, and and that's why because <laughs> yeah. I was getting ready to to gin up the the October issue. There you go. So, there you go. Uh, here we are. Well, where can people find out about you and uh, that magazine and other things on the ah, internet? Well, AviationSafetyMagazine dot com. Uh, on the Twitter machine, it's Av Safety Mag. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you can find out more about me with the Google. Uh, Twitter is Burnside J. You might find my stuff on uh, uh, AEA.net for the Aircraft Electronics Association, GeneralAviationNews.com, uh, AvWeb, and uh, AIN Online. Awesome. Very good. And Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. Dave, what have you been working on? Well, I just shipped off my October uh, features to Av Buyer magazine. My weekly blog to them went out uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, and uh, I got one of the cover stories on this month on the September Avionics News magazine talking about uh, uh, improvements in the uh, options in the LED lighting for aircraft. And so if you're thinking about converting, I'm not talking about a religious conversion, uh, but an electrical conversion. You want to lighten the load of your electrical system. You might find the uh, article useful. You can find it on uh, the Avionics Aircraft Electronics Association website, aea.net. Uh, click on the link to the magazine. Go to the contents page. Click on the one that says lighting the way via PMA, PERIN, and STC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I just put up right before Oshkosh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've got basically two landing lights from the factory on the airplane. One's in the nose bowl, and uh, I long ago replaced it with a uh, with an LED, and it's been bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other landing light was this big honking sucker. Uh, I, it was an amp sucker. Uh, I turn it on, and the, it's on a... Uh, Instead of having its own breaker, dedicated breaker, the switch itself is a circuit breaker. Mm-hmm. And I would turn it on, and 20 seconds later, it popped the breaker. It was that that power hungry. Um, and I just quit using it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I replaced it right before Oshkosh with an LED, and the difference is literally night and day. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just amazing. Oh, and since you mentioned Oshkosh, the same issue of Avionics News as my story on... The uh, news that AEA members made with uh, new product announcements or advances at, at Oshkosh this year. So Cool. Nice, nice. David, where can people find uh, information about you and all this stuff on the Internet? Well, uh, my uh, AvBuyer connection is avbuyer.com. Uh, avionics News you can find at uh, aea.net. Uh, my uh, weekly blogs are through the AvBuyer website or you can uh, google my name and, and be as surprised as i am at how much of my <laughs> stuff shows up <laughs> and i'm uh, real higdon on the twitter machine and uh otherwise i'm lost in space <laughs> okay if you say so and i'm jack hodgson i'm a private pilot freelance writer and a digital media producer uh you i don't know what i'm working on these days i've been home for a much longer period of time than is usual for You've been me working on your boat i have been working on the boat all i kind of stalled on that project uh trying to get uh, the uh the uh, i was working i think i mentioned i was working on the uh, trying to seal the hull we had a hole in the hull i don't know if we talked about that on the after show or the regular show but uh um 
and I've got a temporary f- patch on that now. And now I'm trying to get the engine running. Engine has run a long time. This is all t- typical, um, uh, you know, internal combustion engine stuff. An engine that's been sitting for too long is all gunked up with bad gas. And it's just a matter of time. I just need to get back to it and start tracking the fuel system and figure out where it's getting blocked and where it's no longer reaching. So anyways, well, that's, well, if you start working on it now, it might be ready for boat season. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's, oh, never mind. That's a story for the after show, maybe. I don't know. Um, so, uh, uh, experimenting with doing more and more video, um, and eventually some of that stuff will appear on my YouTube channel, and, uh, um, you know, just stuff's happening. Um, you can find me on uh, on uh, YouTube. It's youtubes.com uh, slash Jack Hodgson. On Amazon, search for Around the Field in the book section for my ebooks. On Twitter, uh, it is Jack Hodgson. Um, and uh, you can sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about you, me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? There's no mystery about how to live an old, long life, but just go flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. One more reference to Back to the Future. I am your density. Okay.